The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is Wayne Bibiani. I'm a film critic for The Wrap and IGN, and everybody calls me Bibbs. It's very announcerly of you. Who are you? My name is Whitney Seibold. Huh. I am a film critic for the internet. I write for IGN and critically acclaimed.net. And this is your music, your way. Hire us. <laughs> uh, hey, everybody. We Hire are... us, you cowards. <laughs> so... um, hey, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us this week on the show. We are reviewing a television series uh, that, um, yeah, we had a lot of requests for this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it was a reasonably popular show. Came this close to getting picked up for a second season. Just didn't, uh, didn't work out. And we'll talk about why. Uh, it is a very expensive, very ambitious, very soapy, historic story. Oh, incredibly soapy. In fact, it's a soap opera. It basically is a soap mm. opera. Uh, it is a story of the Pan-American stewardesses in the 1930s. It's a little show no, called... Ni- 1960s. You said 30s. <laughs> the Pan Am wasn't around in the 30s. You're the 30s. <laughs> Did you think it was the 30s that whole time? With Whole time! So, so it was a different Kennedy that got shot? Yes. <laughs> Why is it why is it that when we record this show mm-hmm. in the early afternoon I'm less on the ball we're, than we were yeah, recording we're the way l- less fo- I think it's the sunlight it's distracting. Yeah. We're like lizards. We almost <laughs> always record this show at like 2 a.m. and apparently this time uh, now that we're recording at 2 p.m. Mm-hmm. we're we're completely out of sorts. <laughs> we're just so unused to it. We're going to be very loopy. We're going to leave all the bloopers in on this very special cancel too soon about mm-hmm. Pan Am. In the 1960s. Next. A woman's place. Are you wearing your girdle? Yes, ma'am. Oh. Was not in the home. That is natural selection at work. They don't know that they're a new breed of woman. Welcome to the Gen Age. I get to see the world. I don't need to see the world to change it. I do. People have underestimated me my entire life, and they've been wrong. They're on the cover of Life magazine. You're famous, though. He's married. Should we spike a scooter or his drink? Both. Up in the air. Marry me. Everyone carries a little baggage. I want to remind you not to sleep with other women's husbands. What do you think, ladies? Can we make this work? It's all right. Can we roll out, gentlemen? ABC's Pan Am. Buckle up. Adventure calls. Takes on Sunday, September 25th, 10, 9 central on ABC. Now, Pan Am is where the Hunger Games took place. Yeah. Now, the, 
that's that's all, actually when watching the Hunger Games, that's all I could think because mm. I Pan Am was still around when I was a kid. Then, they then, were still around until relatively recently. Yeah, then, like then the brand, like, yeah. and like PSA and all on all of those airlines that just sort of crashed and burned when gas prices skyrocketed. Well, they they probably bad and, and terminology we're, we're, to well, use. They they they're no well, longer maybe, around. Maybe not crashed and burned. Yeah, in a metaphorical sense. Yeah, uh, Pan Am is a very ambitious show. Came out. Uh, it premiered on it, ABC. Do you think it came on after? Came into being after Mad Men? Well, it did come into being after Mad Men. I'm yeah. sure Mad Men, the success of Mad Men was mm. part of the success of the show. Uh, the show aired from September 25th, 2011 through February 19th, 2012. Got through an entire first season. Mm. Uh, and it featured Christina Ricci and a young, nobody knew who the hell she was, Margot Robbie mm. as one of the lead stars. So this is like her big breakout role in a lot of ways. Although neither of the... Well, I guess there are four main characters, mm-hmm. but I feel like the Kelly Garner character was the lead. Yeah. Like Christina Ricci was... She's the biggest star. She was like the biggest get on this show. She was the most recognizable name, unless you're a big Goran Viznik fan. Um, Goran Viznik isn't in it much. Uh, he, he's got, he's a, got like three he's, or four he's episodes. A recurring role, you know. Yeah. He, he comes in and gives yeah. important exposition, but uh, yeah, she was front and center on all the posters. Uh, mm. She they make sure to highlight her in all of the ads. Mm. I remember when all the ads were running. She was a get. She was a get, and her character was given nothing to do for like the first two thirds of the season. Mm-hmm. She was a, like a supporting character at best, and I think even Christina Ricci was frustrated by this because. I don't know what the hell she's doing, like what character she's playing right. until a little bit later. Let, hold on, let's, we'll get to that. Let's let's start uh, at the beginning. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, Pan Am is a show about Pan Am stewardesses in the early 1960s. Now, at this time, the flight attendants at Pan Am had very specific requirements. They were all women. Mm-hmm. They all dressed in these very uh very particular, very flattering blue like mini sir- mini skirt suits uh like you would see in the female officers on Star Trek. And uh, this uh show takes place the same year Star Trek debuted. Coincidence? Oh, no, oh, no, I wait, think not, not. Not quite. They were, uh, if it kept on going, it would have overlapped with Star Trek. Sorry, that's what I had in my head. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> uh, they had very specific requirements in terms of uh, poise, posture, their weight could only be at a certain point. They've, I think they got fired if they hit 32 because the idea was Pan Am flight attendants were there to flirt with the customers. That yeah, they, was the idea. They were Hooters waitresses. And um, mm. this came at a time when air travel was still like the, the, the era of the quote, the jet set, uh, where air travel was seen as this glorious, very luxurious thing. Mm. And, you know, getting food on a plane was seen as, like, this unbelievable luxury. Well, now it is again, too. Well, yeah, now it is again. Now it is again, you know, now now that they're essentially buses. But, uh, yeah, they're really trying to romanticize. I don't don't think Pan Am does it as well as the film Catch Me If You Can, kind of romanticizing the world of air travel. Nobody does romanticization better than Spielberg. Uh, This is true. But so what they're trying to do is like remind us of that time when air travel was seen as very glitzy mm-hmm. and then peel back the layers and show the ugliness underneath. True. Now, in the modern era, when everybody's flown and you're like cattle in a bus, we don't need those layers peeled back anymore. 
<laughs> we've already seen how ugly it is. I think we're because looking, of what it became. I think we're looking at Pan Am for the nostalgia factor. I think the other big, I think, key to unlocking Pan Am as a show is there's a speech one of the co-pilots gives in the pilot episode, and you might heard a little clip of it in that preview. <laughs> pilot where, episode. Yes, every episode of Pan Am is a pilot episode. No, there's only a couple pilot episodes. Pause for laughter. A couple co-pilot episodes. I'm waiting for people to The engineer. Okay, fine. You can't can't hear them. That's not the way a podcast works. (laughs) Um... But uh, the idea was the 1960s was this really like important time for the women's liberation movement, and the characters that we meet in Pan Am are perhaps coming into an awareness of just how important, uh, you know, their jobs are. Their mm-hmm. their jobs that allow them to travel the world, to meet famous people, to have influence on others, and over the course of the series, almost every episode involves some sort of heroic thing the flight attendants get to do mm. on Pan Am, and it starts getting really ridiculous really fast, but honestly, I think that's part of the appeal, because this show starts off being semi-plausible and gets ridiculous. Well, it eventually kind of forgets its initial reason for being, which mm. is to sort of romanticize the 1960s and mm. you know, sort of go on these well, globe-trekking odysseys. And it's only when it kind of shoves all of that aside and turns into a soap opera that it starts to grow in strength. Well, the show oh. actually changed showrunners okay. uh, over the course of the season, mm. and in order to do that, exactly what you said. Mm. Uh, so the, this show was created by Jack Orman, who worked on JAG and ER and also a couple of Cancel Too Soon shows, including Dr. Vegas and New York News. Hopefully we'll get to those at some point. Um, it was also co-produced by uh, Nancy holt Gannis. Mm-hmm. Now, she was a publicist, uh, she was in marketing, and she was a producer, and across those various fields, she worked on projects as disparate as Amadeus, Howard the Duck, Deuce Bigelow, Aquila and the Bee, and between 1968 and 1976, she was a Pan Am flight attendant. So it's it's semi-autobiographical. Well, no, but it's autobiographical. She's drawing on her own experiences, and she mm. interviewed a lot of other uh, flight attendants, too. Uh, about halfway through the season, they brought in producer Stephen Maida, uh, who was apparently specifically brought in to make it more of a soap opera. And he succeeded. And he did. We met Stephen Maida before. He worked on Conviction, the oh, Haley Atwell okay. series we reviewed about a year mm. ago. Uh, he also worked on the Cancel Too Soon series uh, Daybreak, which we're going to get to at some point. Harsh Realm, which we're definitely getting to <laughs> at some point. Also, the shows Lost and CSI Miami. Uh, the show actually oh. aired opposite CSI Miami, as well as Breaking Bad. Oh, so it's kind of doomed. Well, it did okay. It did okay, well, it, and it did it, great it, in Europe. And so that's one of the reasons why they thought about bringing it back and maybe oh, okay. even transferring it to Amazon after it got canceled, but oh, it just didn't okay. work out. I think it would have worked a lot better in a place like Amazon, mm-hmm. where they would be a little bit more free to be a little bit more edgy. This was a network show that was modeling itself on a cable show. Mm-hmm. It's modeling itself on Mad Men. And one of the... Uh, one of the selling points of Mad Men is we're going to sort of demystify the 1960s and um, 50s, I think, at first, right? Fi- yeah, 50s into the 60s, yeah. I guess. But yeah, th- that particular fear, uh, era of Americana. And we're going to do it by sort of showing 
uh, bits of depravity here and there, like what was really going on at home, what, what was going on with the the sex and the sexism and the drinking and the drugs and the mm. cussing and, and the smoking indoors. Because and, there's, uh, this, there's this image of the 1950s as this idyllic yeah, era, but it was actually an, a grossly misogynistic, time, sexist, yeah. you know, racist, yeah. homophobic, right, right. really terrible time overall. <laughs> it just looked good. The 50s were great if you were a straight white male earning a certain the amount of money. The 50s were great and, if you were a tailor. <laughs> Everyone in great suits. Like, that's what it was great for. Everyone or, else. Or a producer so of pomade. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you made pomade, boy howdy. Um, the problem with Pan Am is they're trying to do that same sort of demystification of a very similar era in American history. Mm-hmm. But because they're on network TV, they don't have the leeway to go really filthy with it. Mm-hmm. So it seems a little bit too safe. Like, they can't really go as far as they would like to in skewering the idealism of the time. Yeah. Even though they're dealing with some pretty hard topics like sexual harassment in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And they, how, and they, how they, they tackle that really directly, which I appreciate. Really yeah. directly. And how one of the, one of the stewardesses, the Christian. Uh, Christina Ricci character is harassed by a customer and the, her bosses say, yeah, just let that happen. That's one of their privileges. And she, and she gets somebody to get her back and he doesn't have her back. And she's horrified by this horrendous experience. Yeah, We'll talk about that in detail when we get to episode two, but uh, yeah. And so, but like those kind of hard hitting storylines fall by the wayside by like the back four episodes mm. when it goes full crazy, which we will talk about in particular. Let's introduce the main characters mm. because the thing about Pan Am that I think is most interesting is that it isn't one show. Every single character is in a different show. Well, they they each have their own personalities, and as such, they each have their own tone. Okay, so uh, let's start with uh, let's start Kel- with. I think she's the I think she's ostensibly the protagonist. We've got Kelly Garner mm-hmm. as Kate Cameron. Uh, she is a stewardess, and very quickly over the course of the first episode, she is recruited by the CIA. <laughs> To become a courier and eventually a full-fledged spy over the course of the first season. Now, evidently this happened frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, stewardesses, because they were sort of given free reign to come and go into whatever countries they were flying to. Including countries where ordinarily and, and Americans countries, wouldn't be. Yeah. That they were often asked not just to, you know broker and intelligence, but also uh, some of them were criminals. There was a lot of drug dealing, for instance, going on, a lot of contraband, sort of sneaking in and out. So if the show had focused on that, like all of the stewardesses were up to something and they were all in on it together, they were like really clean, neat, perky stewardesses, but, you know, by night they were <laughs> secret s- spies. spies or drug dealers and they were all in on it together and they had this sort of like secret, secret network and they were you know, workshopping everything around them. That would have been a fun series, but it's just the one character. It's just her! Everyone else is in a different <laughs> show. That's my point. I love that. So like we'll go to this thing where like, oh, do I or don't I love that co-pilot? Or oh man, I'm, I, I'm dating this congressman, but he doesn't know I wrote an article about him in the Village Voice. Also, I shot a guy, and I have to lie to MI6 about it. And you're like, holy I'll, crap. I'll, I'll teach you. Well, a guy bleeding out, I'll teach you how to lie to a polygraph so this can blow over. Alright, so Kate Cameron's sister, younger sister, is played by Margot Robbie. Uh, is it Robbie or Robbie? Uh, I've, that's the problem. I've heard both. Damn I've been it. saying Roby. If we're wrong, we apologize. Margot Robbie. But I've this? heard it said Robbie now more frequently, so... Robbie. We'll say Robbie. We're going to say Robbie. We're going to stick with Robbie. If we're wrong, we apologize. Margot Robbie plays Kate's younger sister. Uh, She plays a character named Laura. Mm -hmm. Laura Cameron. Uh, We find at the beginning of the episode that she fled a seemingly perfect marriage. She had never really lived her life. Fled like the day of the wedding. 
uh, and joined her sister at Pan Am. And after she got her job, she was so happy. A photog- professional photographer took her picture leaving the building, and now she's like on the cover of Life magazine as the face of Pan Am, even though she's only been working there a couple of weeks. So she's kind of thrust into this big top-level assignment on this brand-new plane. Uh, so she is in the process of figuring her life out. And over the course of the series, she gets into a... Uh, a four, four or five different relationships. <laughs> uh-huh. Mo- uh, but mostly a will-they-or-won't-they relationship with the uh, mm. co-pilot, Ted Vanderway, played by Michael Mosley, who's really good in this show. Um, and uh, also, it, at it, some it point... It took she me, inf- like, eight episodes to tell the pilot and the co-pilot apart. Like, really? They look yeah, nothing alike. They, they, don't, they don't look alike, but they have, like, identical personalities. Well, they are... They're, <laughs> that, they're co-pilots. They, if they're not drift-compatible if they're not close... <laughs> You know, mentally, so... I don't, you gotta, them, I, I don't want them to be drift-compatible. I want them to be kind of different. Maybe an antagonistic relationship where they're really different and one's really straight-laced and one's really wild. I, I know that's a cliche, but do something that differentiates them. So Margot Robbie is in the middle of this big subplot about how she's finding herself in the 1960s where opportunities for women were changing and evolving and expectations for behavior were very different. And, and she was, she's kind of emerging from this very... Uh, cloistered life. Very conservative... Yeah. Sort of upbringing to the point where, but over the course of the series, she takes nude photographs, and then Andy Warhol loves them and buys them. <laughs> it's crazy. She, she goes out on a date with a black man. How shocking! And yeah. and sort of deals with the consequences of that. But I, I wish that relationship had continued because I like that character, the he sailor. Was cool. Yeah, he was cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, we also have Colette Valois, mm-hmm. played by Corinne Venas, a director. Uh, sorry, an actor I'm not super familiar with. She's, she's, my, she's my favorite character on the show. Honestly, you've got Christina Ricci, you've got Margot Robbie, you've got Kelly Garner, who's no slouch. Mm. Corinne Vanasse kind of steals the show. <laughs> she's got this really great uh, uh, Audrey Hepburnish quality to the point mm. where before the end of the series, they put her in a reverse Roman Holiday subplot. Yeah. Because she's yeah. just so bright-eyed and likable. And her big storyline is... Um, her parents were killed in World War II, and she doesn't know who they are, and she is still dealing with, you know, sort of the leftover trauma from that, and a very sort of almost uncontrollable desire to do the right thing, even mm. if it goes against protocol. Well, she, even though Kelly Garner is the lead character, she struck me as sort of the leader of the group. Mm. Um, like the four, if the four of them were like in a, a some sort of terrible situation, she would immediately become the captain, right? Uh, because she's the most mature character. She not just because she's you know a, a child of the war, but because she has a, a little bit more of a pragmatic view as to what's going on. Yeah, and she has like much more uh, like better defined, sophisticated principles, and that is vitally important. In a show where all the other characters are kind of figuring stuff out. Yeah, that's the thing. Every other character is figuring out who they are right now, and Colette knows. And there's something mm. really, really comforting about that. She's so great. She's mm. really, really great in this show. And then uh, the last uh, flight attendant that we follow is Maggie Ryan, played by Christina Ricci. She is the most politically minded. She lives with like a whole bunch of hippies who are writing manifestos in her apartment. <laughs> um, and she takes this really sexist job because it allows her to travel the world, meet all kinds of people. Every time they go to someplace, you know, really unusual, you know, normally people from her neighborhood would never go to, like Jakarta, she gets into all kinds of crazy mischief and um she's supposed to be kind of the edgy one but honestly i think of all mm. of them she's the one who 
knows herself the least. And I think that's why they give her less screen time, because it's hard to tell what she'll do in any yeah. situation. Well, at least until the end of the season. Uh, yeah, until uh, until perhaps because they switched showrunners and they actually like gave her a character. Uh, yeah, she was she was the peanut gallery for mm-hmm. the first half of the show. Yeah, where she would come in and sort of say a witty bomb on. It was supposed to be really shocking, but it was never really actually shocking. She didn't say anything that was really over the edge. Um, near the end of the series, because of. Uh, something Ashley Green does. Um, she she's actually gets to like say something really sort of flip and frank. It's like, where, and this was the last episode where she finally says that. Episode 14. Mm-hmm. And I finally got what they were trying to do from the beginning with that character. Which is what? Which is, she's the frank one. She's yeah. the one without the filter. She's the one who's just going to sort of step up and say what she means. She mm-hmm. dates a politician and sort of runs her mouth a couple times in social situations. If that was the way the character was set up, why didn't we see that until so late in the show? Because I think the show was finding itself. You it yeah. switched showrunners as well. But the thing is, we get really like, as I've mentioned before on this show, a lot of the better TV shows that really connect with people and become big hits right away are mm-hmm. kind of like, they kind of figured themselves out by the first couple of episodes. Yeah. A lot of the best shows ever made figure themselves out over a season or two. And I think Pan mm-hmm. Am was finding its footing for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so the other main characters, I already mentioned. Uh, my, my, the... my point is it was just so frustrating yeah. with having the characters sort of, I understand characters need to sort of settle in, but start from somewhere. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Uh, then uh, again, we have the co-pilot uh, played by Michael Mosley. He was a test pilot mm. for the Air Force, but then... Uh, and he, his father, like runs like a an engine company oh, or something. Right. Yeah, yeah. And he was he was in the cockpit, and there was a, some sort of systems malfunction, and he was blamed for it, and he was run out of there, and he's no doesn't get to be an astronaut now. And his dad knew that it was technical failure, but he threw his son under the bus so that his company wouldn't take a hit. So he's actually got some some baggage. Oh. <laughs> I felt kind of bad for him. Uh, and then the last main character is Mike Vogel as Dean Lowry. He is the youngest. 707 pilot mm. in Pan Am and a lot of the question is how did he get this big big you know promotion and a lot of people think it had something to do with his mm. girlfriend slash fiance the first episode Bridget played by Annabelle Wallace who would go on to star in films like The Mummy and uh, the first Annabelle prequel uh, and also the great show Peaky Blinders uh, she well, I still haven't seen that it's, it's one, really one, good one I've, I've been Meaning to sort of absorb it from some the point. from the writer director of Serenity. Oh, <laughs> so it's gonna one. be oh, it's gonna be great. It actually is great though. Oh. Like Serenity's the outlier. It's weird. Oh, that's too bad. I know. Uh, anyway, I, I, I want it to be crazy bad. The pilot episode is everyone's going on this new this the maiden voyage of this brand new beautiful plane, mm-hmm. and it's the new Red, flight crew rendered in not very good CGI, quite bad CGI, yeah. but they did the best they could with their TV budget, and. Bridget, Annabelle Wallace's character, is missing. She doesn't show up for work. And so Christina Ricci is brought in as this last-minute uh, flight attendant because they're going to, I think they're going to Portugal. Yeah. And she's the only one who speaks Portuguese who's available. So she's this last-minute replacement. But everyone's asking, where's Bridget? And everyone thinks, you know, did she quit so that she could marry Dean because you're not allowed to marry other people in the... Because I think once you get married, you're not allowed to be a stewardess or something. Um, or... 
what? And it turns out she was a CIA agent and she had to be, you know, sort of put in witness protection because her cover got blown. And now they have to bring in uh, Kate in order to replace her on this last minute mission. And holy crap. <laughs> it's a very eventful pilot. Yeah. Um, they, they set up an awful lot. I think they set up like more than they could really deliver on. It's a lot. Which, which I know a lot, of, a, lot. a lot of pilots do. You know, they kind of have to grab some pilots. They do all of that with no plan as to where to move forward from there. Yeah. They just want to throw in a lot of really shocking stuff right away just so you're grabbed. I love that. I love if you listen to the uh, commentary track on the like mini series pilot of Battlestar Galactica, the rebooted version. Mm hmm. You can hear them talk about all these major plot points, and it's just like, oh, yeah, that message someone gave to Gaius Baltar. We don't know who wrote that. <laughs> we just thought it'd be cool if he got that message. We'll figure it out later. The show wasn't over yet, mm. and they hadn't gotten to it. They were just openly admitting, <laughs> we're flying by the seat of our pants, yeah. and we're doing the best we can. Doing in these intriguing things. That yeah. they, um, can you think of an instance in a, a TV show that you watched like for a long time where they set up something really mysterious and they just weren't able to pay off? Yeah, um, I actually, the, the time that really frustrated me was watching American Horror Story Asylum, the second season okay. of that show. And that was the one that took place in, I think it was the 1960s, it was in an asylum, and everything was going on at once. There was like a mad Nazi scientist who was hiding out there and performing weird experiments and also maybe some people were abducted by aliens and mm. they just set up a million different things and the things that I was most interested in were the things they did away with in a couple episodes. Ah, that's too bad. And then everything else is about this other stick and I didn't care about that stuff. They When you set up so much you're going to con- Lost did this too mm. where they set up so many things that the mysteries that intrigued the audience weren't necessarily the mysteries that intrigued the writers. <laughs> so like when they go out oh yeah and here's how Jack got his tattoo. We literally don't care. <laughs> It what? doesn't matter. It's just a tattoo. What I want to know is why that guy didn't say he saw a polar bear on a tropical island. Why seems did he keep like, that a secret? Seems like kind of a thing. You know yeah. what I'd do? I'd run into the wood, run out of the woods, out onto the beach, say, "Guys, a friggin' polar bear!" <laughs> if I were on that lost island, that show would have been over in three episodes. <laughs> All right, the second episode of Pan Am is called "We'll Always Have Paris." Uh, this is a Where trip they go to Paris, to London. Oh, yeah. Paris. Yeah, uh, and the the big deal on this one is first off, Dean is starting to uh, get closer to Colette. The pilot is starting to get closer mm. to the French. Uh, flight attendant, and they're trying to delve into what happened to Bridget, and over the course of that investigation, they start growing a little closer. That doesn't culminate too quickly, but it won't take too long. Um, Also, on the flight, uh, Kate and Laura's mother, who has Mm, a really antagonistic relationship with Kate, but loves Laura very, very much, uh, is on the plane, and it seems like she's just trying to make nice with everybody, but once they're in Paris, she, she whips spring, out... springs the jilted husband. Yeah, so Marco Robbie's all of a sudden just blindsided by her jilted husband with, you know, flowers and everything. And she's like, what the... What the fuck? Like, what do you think I would... What? I, what? And that doesn't go well. Mm. Um, because and, the, cause the, women love that. Yeah, when, when, yeah. You, when you dump them and you just sort of appear in a mysterious city with a bouquet, that always works. Yeah. Always. Uh, Every time. And uh, Kate's latest mission from the CIA, and she's working with a British uh, intelligence agent played by David Harbour from Stranger Things, and he's also the new Hellboy. So it's weird to see him play British. (laughs) Because he's not British. He's doing the accent, so I'm really distracted by it. But uh, she's responsible for giving, like, uh, Annabelle Wallace's, you know, former 
flight attendant slash spy agent, her papers and everything, so she can go into hiding. Uh, next, so, so Bridget is around. Bridget is around, yeah. and she she will be coming back. But and, you know, the whole plot kicks off because she was missing that day. Uh, the next episode is Ich bin ein Berliner, in which they go to Berlin with a whole bunch of press in order to cover John F. Kennedy's mm. Berlin Wall speech. Uh, there was a, a scene in this that I really, really liked, uh, mm. because Kennedy's in Berlin and everybody uh, everybody in the city is, is in a tizzy. They really want to see Kennedy. What's he going to say? He's going to give his Ich bin ein Berliner speech. Did you hear? And... Uh, <laughs> I'm glad uh, that they. I'm glad that they referenced that Ein Berliner means a donut. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad that they brought that up. <laughs> ich bin Berliner means I'm a Berliner. Yeah. Um, and there's a great scene where Colette is being sort of led up a building so she can look out the window to see uh, Kennedy from a distance. Yeah, there's this flurry and, just trying to get a good seat and they and end I up thought, going to some apartment building. And yeah. they actually did a really good job of communicating her trauma very quickly mm. uh, and and very effectively by being in the crowd was really kind of making her cagey. And we sort of saw these little quick flashes of... Nazi soldiers sort of cut into the crowd scenes. Yeah, like there's a match cut. You see people running up the stairs because they're excited about JFK, but then you just immediately just jump cut to the same shot, Mm. but Nazi soldiers are like running up to arrest people. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's really Uh, effective storytelling. It's really great filmmaking just in in those moments. And, And it really communicated a lot about Colette, sort of her trauma. And I think the actress was, oh God, I already forgot the actress's name. Mm. Um, oh, no, uh, for Colette? Corrine uh, Vanas? Corrine Vanas. Corrine Vanas's performance uh, showed how she was sort of absorbing that in the moment. Like, she didn't break down crying. Like, yeah. she was able to sort of communicate that she was in pain and panicked without overdoing it. I'm dead serious. It is absurd that Corrine Vanas is not a huge star. She she may still be. I hope this, so. Yeah. This, is, this wasn't that I mean, long ago. Keep, keep but in like, mind, Mar- Margot Robbie is yeah Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> it, Sorry, it, it, now an Academy Award nominee. Margot, so she, I know you're she, listening, we, and we, we apologize. We know that she went on to great things, and you know yeah. Christina Ricci is still working. So I just I hope Karine she gets Vanaz another is, big break. Is gonna She's gonna so get nice. get a leg up eventually. She'll yeah. she'll play a not some super heroine uh, get, a, meanwhile, get a, a big meaty role. Meanwhile, we find out that Maggie, played by Christina Ricci, uh, worked on the JFK campaign. She was working at a campaign office and she was assured that she would get to at least briefly meet JFK. Um, and then she went to the bathroom and missed it. <laughs> so now that she's in Berlin with him, she is determined to meet him. However she can, and she keeps trying to find a way to uh, sort of sneak into various parties. Can you, remember like a second ago when we were talking about Nazis, and now we're talking about sneaking into a party? Yeah, the show is everything <laughs> all at once. Meanwhile, we have uh, Kate and her new uh, um, her assignment this time is supposedly just to pick up something from a, from a contact, but the contact's cover has been blown, and now she's trying to like sneak this woman into the Berlin embassy in order to try to get her to talk to someone and be extricated and it becomes this huge freaking thing German double agent it's like uh, the it's about as convincing as the the scene in Glorious Bastards where Brad Pitt tries to speak Italian yeah (laughs) how you doing there bonjourno (laughs) (laughs) like she's just not at all convincing it's like why are you wearing her hat oh I forgot my hat so I lent her mine why is she wearing your coat too? And and why are there why are her papers sticking out of her pocket? You know, it's 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 pretty uh It's it's a good thing they got away with it. <laughs> uh, the next episode is the Rangoon episode. 
Now, I know what you're thinking. Can we get beyond oh Rangoon? God. Do you have to every time? Every time? How often does Rangoon come up? So they go to Rangoon. Just go to Burma. They go to Rangoon, and they go to Jakarta, and uh, Kate is responsible for delivering a camera with secret spy stuff in it to someone in Jakarta. It's a whole thing. Um, I, I wish that the, the show had been a little bit more like an ensemble show tends to go. Because mm. every character is kind of given, all four of the main characters, and often the pilot or the co-pilot, are given a thread throughout the, the course of one episode. Yeah, every episode has at least four subplots. You need... A plot, B plot, period. <laughs> have have one main character. Have the spy plot be the A plot, and then one of the other characters gets like a, um, something else to do on the side for that one episode that maybe they'll reference later, but maybe not. See, no, and I like it this way. Next, next time you focus on two other characters, just it's it's better storytelling. I think it's, I see what you mean. I think it's cleaner storytelling. It's like you're, you're pushing too many things together at the same time, and it's, it's I starting like that, to grind though. down a no, little no, bit. No, no, I, I like that. I really mm-hmm. do like that. For me, that's a selling point of this show. That's a feature, not a bug. All right. So that would be cleaner. I agree that it would be a cleaner way to tell the story, but mm-hmm. having this completely wild, disparate, every subplot competing together, and every time they like, actually interact with something you're kind of there's like an episode later on where Christina Ricci accidentally sets a congressman's hotel room on fire and it gives the CAA just the cover they need right <laughs> and it's a, that kind of thing is what makes it fun for me yeah I like that it's everything all at once well, when the, and when you have those little intersectional moments those are really really cute um yeah. there's one of my favorite moments and I'm, I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit but sure. um there's a bit where a, a female character kisses Christina Ricci, mm. uh, and Christina Ricci mentions like uh, she, she's not into it, but it's like, yeah, you know, I, I get this because this has happened to me before. Yeah, like, and she mentions that to another friend, like, why why do women come on to me? Do I get? And she's like, I can in tears. Do I give off the girl vibe? Meanwhile, in another story, uh, the. Uh, Kate is trying to uh, brush up her pickpocketing skills so she can be a better spy, and she practices on Christina Ricci by standing really close and distracting her by, like, touching her hair and doing these sort of flirty things. And so in that moment, Christina Ricci's like, what is going on? What vibe am I giving off that women are always hitting on me? My straight friend is hitting on me now. Those cute little intersectional right? moments are, are, are really well written, and I appreciate really... those when things sort of cross over like that. But you don't need five stories to have those moments. You only need two. No, I like that. I like it. I like getting sort of... Because any one of these stories is a little thin on their own. Mm. You shove them all together, and you get something a little bit more interesting, I think. Uh, um, so the mm. next episode is called One Coin in a Fountain. Uh, this episode, they go to Monte Carlo... And uh, Christina Ricci is attracted to a Yugoslavian diplomat played Gor- by Goran Viznik. Yeah, from uh, ER and that Elektra spinoff movie with uh, Jennifer Garner. Because everybody remembers that one. Everyone does. Uh, and uh, Kate's assignment is to do a whole bunch of stuff. But in order to <laughs> in order to get where she needs to go, she needs to seduce Goran Viznik away from Christina Ricci. For no reason. She can't come up with like a reason why she's betraying her friend. So Christina Ricci's pissed. And with good cause. She has no idea. Um, oh, and this is also the episode where we find out that Margot Robbie? Robbie. Okay. That's We're what going we just with Robbie. We're going with Robbie. Yeah. Uh, this is also the episode in which we find out that because she kind of left 
that wedding with nothing. Mm -hmm. She hawked her engagement ring. Right. And and she wants to give it back to the guy because she feels really bad. He spent, it turns out he spent, he gave her this big sob story in France about how much money he spent on it. He saved up. Mm -hmm. And And she she, feels terrible. She had to pawn it and the others. This big epic chase where she has to sort of go to the pawn shop and he sold it to somebody else and she has to run around finding Mm -hmm. the ring. And she ends up running around with the co-pilot and they basically bond. They bond and they start getting closer together and I really like actually the co-pilot's uh, journey over here because he starts off as kind of an entitled dick. Yeah. He's the one who, when Christina Ricci is sexually harassed by uh, a passenger and she stabs him with like a fork mm. and then they shove him into a bathroom until they can figure out what to do. He's the guy <laughs> who smooths it over and says, hey women, right? I'll mm. give you a bunch of free stuff. And then Christina Ricci, he expects Christina Ricci to thank him for saving his her job. Mm. And what she actually says is no. You, it's you just, just made it okay for him to do that to somebody else. Yeah, yeah. You, The job is just a job. It, it would have sucked if I lost it. But no, the problem is you supported this toxic behavior and he's like... <gasps> Oh, I am an asshole. And he starts getting becoming a slightly better person all mm. the time. And so he's trying to help Margot Robbie find this engagement ring and he's trying to like sort of step over her in order to prevent this guy from fleecing her and asking for too much money from it, not realizing that the money, the money is doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah, the money is not what's important right now. What's important is getting it back and he kind of ruins it and then we find out later where, that he went back and he traded his Rolex, which was like his pride and joy, his favorite possession for the ring. Mm. So he is he slowly gets, becoming he gets to a better do something person. Kind of noble. Yeah, by the end, he's when he becomes a romantic lead. It, he, it's more believable by that. Well, it's earned, and I the, actually uh, like that he's not just perfect because mm. Dean, the pilot, he's got some tricky baggage with you know the CIA agent who left him, mm. but he's basically perfect. It, my, uh, this guy is like no, he's a product of his yeah. time. He is a sexist. He has all things, my, but he's wife, capable of getting better. My wife said something really like she wandered in in and out of the room while I was watching this, and she saw uh, Dean, the pilot character, just sort of took one look at him and just said, oof, I'm sorry your Dan Stevens clone experiment didn't work out. Uh, he, he has that sort of Dan Stevens look, and Dan Stevens has played CADs pretty convincingly in the past. Very convincingly. And uh, so he has that that angle of Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens is actually very talented. He can play all kinds of different roles, but yeah. this guy has that Dan Stevens CAD quality. Uh, in this episode, uh, Dean meets a seemingly very rich, very, very, very available woman mm. uh, on his flight who comes on to him. She's played by Aaron Cummings, and they start in a relationship, and only then does he realize she's the mistress of a Pan Am vice president, so oh, he's in trouble. no, but she's coming on to him, and they're really attracted to each other, and they have great chemistry. What do they do? So they date for a couple of episodes, and then he breaks it off and then she pushes her face through a window to try to get him back and we realize she's not altogether well and I'm, I do appreciate at first you think they're just going to go full fatal attraction and it's going to be kind of tasteless yeah I'm glad she, they pre- she just goes nutty and but then Colette shows up and actually has a comfort because Colette is awesome <laughs> and she actually has Colette this, is the balance to the show like this 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 woman is actually coming from like these really difficult places and they actually have a lot of sympathy for where she is at mm. and it ends up being a lot less shallow and tasteless as you yeah. might expect from where that subplot begins i think that's really great yeah. um the next episode uh is the genuine article is that the one yeah um this is where they go to rio de janeiro Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Kate is still seducing Karan Vizhnik, but now they want her to turn him, <laughs> make him like betray everybody. Uh, Margot Robbie is being followed by a photographer for Life magazine. 
Um, because she, she's the face of Pan Am, and everybody wants to take pictures of her now. Yep, and she's very, very annoyed by it. Uh, Laura and Maggie get arrested for buying stolen goods. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yep, and so, like, at this point, like... At this point, Laura is actually, like, starting to, like, leave her sister and move in with Maggie. Because Maggie is sort of enabling every sort of wild young desire she had. And uh, Kate is... Kate is trying to get her to behave the way she did pre-run out. Like, yeah, she's trying she, to basically she, become her mother without yeah, meaning yeah, to. Yeah. And, and indeed, the two sisters have a confrontation to that degree, I think, in this episode. Around to that here, effect yeah. in, in this episode, where it says, you're turning into my mom, and I need to go out and be a modern woman. And it's at this point where she sort of starts making conscious decisions to grow up a little bit. Yeah. Um, hmm. Okay, and then we have uh, Truth or Dare. Uh, and this one, the crew has been assigned to shuttle U.S. I'm just reading the description on the website yeah. here because there's a lot that goes on. So I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Uh, the, their crew is taking U.S. sailors from a submarine crew. Mm. Um, and uh, I think this is the one. This, this is the one with Joe, the, yeah. the, the, the African-American sailor that uh, that Margot Robbie has a Margot Robbie has has a. Not an affair, just a couple dates with. Like, and they kiss. I think they just kiss. They right? just kiss. And yeah. well, the, and the, all of the, there's all these like sort of horny sailors, and uh, Kate is approached to do like a striptease because that's kind of what they think of Pan Am stewardesses. Like they're supposed to be really flirty and sexy, and she outright refuses. And I, I like the way that uh, that story concluded itself. Mm-hmm. Like it, things are really awkward with these horny sailors and. Rather than having to fight them off, they keep their distance. And the one sailor we kind of get to know, Joe, is actually kind of a sweet guy. And it turns out he and Margot Robbie have a lot in common, and they want to see movies. And she's really feeling romantic warmth for for the first time. And, of course, part of her growing up is she now has to deal with the racism he has to deal with every day. Now, of course, this is a very white perspective of racism. Mm. This is a very white show. Well, it's, it's, it's about white characters in the 60s. This is the first black character we've seen. Yeah. They took probably, a while. T- I, 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 there was an Indian character at the very least. Yeah, who was actually was part a, of the crew. A, a navigator. He was a, on the crew. And they're traveling all over the world. You'd think they would have an international crew. They have one French character, and that's it. Mm. She's, she's the best character. Uh, so yeah, it's it's about her growing up and kind of seeing the injustice in the world. And mm. I wish that had been sort of folded. Like Mad Men, I think that was folded into it a little bit. They still didn't like, tackle it too directly because it was a very white culture that the, mm. in which the show took place. But I, I, so I th- you are I think, you are that, that I, I think is part of it. If, if it I recall, there yeah. there was like ra- like racist language that they used yes. just to sort of I, well, accentuate that it was a that. really like yeah. white show. And I, I think. They're finally addressing it. Good for them that they're finally addressing it. Sorry they took so long. But yeah, Margot Robbie gets to grow up and see that there's there's hate out there and that there's a lot more that she thought. And Mm. it's good for her character. Too bad about Joe. Uh, Joe just sort of gets written out. It is is a shame. Um, In this episode, Kate and Goran Vichnik... uh, they break up because he's turned by the CIA and has the bat to loot Yugoslavia and deal in secrets. <laughs> you know, like so we have this like sort of very Oscar Beatty kind of story mm. about Margot Robbie learning that racism is a thing and also more spy shit. 
Just throw it everywhere. Do what you can. I also, Margot Robbie quite... reveals that she took nude photographs for the Timeline Photographer. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, which were supposed to be only for private use. Yeah, well, that, was, that, was... Uh, that was one of her daring things. Like, well, I'm going to be daring. I'm going to take my clothes off and pose for these art photos. It's mm. you know not not lascivious at all, and but it is daring. I'm going to bare my body, and of course they're going to come back. Of course. Yeah. The next episode is called Unscheduled Departure, and I think this is the episode. This is the great. This is the best one. This is. <laughs> a, I think it's. I think it's top two. Uh, but this is where the show turns, and this is where mm. it becomes as melodramatic and big and crazy as I think it always should have been. And this is peak Pan Am right here. So it's, it's it starts off well, and it's and it's focused. It's the first one where they're not sort of, all the characters aren't scattered, the, and there the aren't a bunch of flashbacks yeah, for no reason. The, the, the flashbacks drove me crazy. Like you're yeah. they're telling it out of order for. For no dramatic effect. Yeah, a lot of the times there would be like a lot of early episodes would be like, okay, so the before the credits we do everyone getting on the plane, going to I don't know, Berlin or whatever. And then we would see after the after the opening credits, everyone getting back on the plane for the return flight, but they're all acting a little weird, and then we do the entire show in flashbacks to see how they got there. Who cares? Just tell the story. Mm. Like they're not there's not such a huge we don't know these people yet. <laughs> so like this huge shift in character. That might just be who they really are. We don't know. So this one's really focused. The plane is en route to Caracas. Kate befriends an elderly passenger, played by the great Harris Yulin. Harris Yellen is great. Great actor. Yeah. Really great. You look him up. You, yeah. You'll know him. He was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He's yeah. been in every... He was the angry judge in Ghostbusters 2. There you yeah. go. <laughs> Um, I don't know, the Scolari brothers! <laughs> Tried him for murder! Gave him the chair! Those ghosts scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. Those scary ghosts. Those yeah, were really scary ghosts. those things around their heads. Yeah, electric yeah. and everything. Um, so, the en route to Caracas, uh, Harris Yulin has a heart attack, and they have to stop... But not, he doesn't die. He's no. just weakened. He, they have to make an emergency stop in Port-au-Prince, like in the middle of a violent political coup. Ah, but well, then Papa Doc is is in full full swing right now. Yeah, uh, the the airport is shut down, and the runway isn't long enough for them to take off afterwards. Well, there's a there's a hurricane that had damaged the runway. So also, there was a hurricane. Longer, yeah. Um and. Uh, a bunch of people have to leave the plane to try to find a doctor, but people are shooting at him the whole time. And then finally, and, and Colette, you know, the, the the hero gets to go out and actually do heroic things. Like, oh, shouldn't I go with you? I'm the only one who can speak to these people. I speak I, their language. I speak like, literally. I literally. I speak French. <laughs> like, yeah. I actually know how to speak their language. Um, and, and since she has heart, she's you know the one who's trying to do the most compassionate thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas all these other characters are sort of saying, "No, we got to get back on. We got to be really hard and efficient about this." Like it's almost like the Langoliers for a minute here where everyone starts freaking out one guy turns out to be like an evil asshole like hey listen this woman helped us get a nitroglycerin pill to try to save Harris Yulin's life and he's like no she's different throw her out the plane let them shoot her and we're just sort of like no you're you're an asshole sit down sit down we'll give you a free I, drink And <laughs> I, I'm sorry I was I was an asshole for a second I didn't didn't realize I was a TV character so Colette like makes sure that they bring in this refugee maybe they'll let her stay in the country maybe they won't but it's the best they can do mm. Um, and when Dean agrees to do that, that's when they realize that they have this really deep connection yeah. to each other. And um, they end up having to ditch all the luggage in order to take off from that really short runway. And they still not light enough, so they ditch Harris Yulin's body. Because just before he died, he said he always wanted to help more people than he helped. And they're like, well, you can help by not being on this plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an extra 150, 180 pounds. Just a great, crazy, you know what's weird? And it's weird for me. Hmm. We had 14 episodes of Pan Am. Not one of them 
ends with the pilots incapacitated and like the the, the, the flight attendants having to land, to land the, plane. the plane. That's such a great cliche. How did you never do it? Well, I know you wanted more episodes, well, but the, how did you not get to that? It, it was about the culture of the stewardesses and not about the nitty gritty of actually you know flying of air mm. of air travel uh, because it wasn't from the pilot's perspective. Getting on the plane and flying it was this really incidental thing, and. And now that I'm talking about it, I realize that's kind of a big weakness of the show. A little bit. We didn't get quite enough shop talk. A little bit. I think, I think honestly, it would have been better to have some more material about how Pan Am is run. Yeah. I think that's we, that, that's a that's a perspective I think we miss. And I think if they'd gone into season two, mm. it would have been kind of nice to see, like, I don't know, Colette get hired for a more mm. managerial position or something. And then mm. we see that side. Would have been kind or, of cool. Or just like little details that would have made that job seem more interesting, like things that only uh, stewardesses have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Like the notion of like, make one one episode where they don't get off the plane. Yeah. Where it's all on the plane and they have to deal with petty crap, like my hot towel isn't hot enough. And, you know, the, the sort of seat of your pants working day stiff stuff that these people had to do that was their job yeah it wasn't just the glamorous stuff it wasn't just being a spy <laughs> oh it wasn't just being a spy that was only that, that was like maybe 40 percent of the time yeah i want to see them at work i want to see yeah. them when they're not having well, an adventure but that's a different show there's I, the I there's the nuts and bolts realistic version and then there's the melodramatic version which well, the, we're doing. but there's we're on the plane a lot just have those moments throughout it's like mm. oh no now like I'm wearing the wrong brand of girdle I hope nobody finds out and you know they have to know a little bit more about uniform policy I, I understand this <laughs> well I, I bring up uniform policy and everybody's eyes glass well, over no, but, but I think that's an actual adds, issue Christina Ricci was uh, was suspended mm. because she wasn't wearing her girdle on a flight or or like there's a run in your stocking you can't get on the plane yeah if if we know a little bit more about the ins and outs, like little petty ins and outs of their job, it would add so much texture. Agreed. Um, well, the next episode, and this is, it just keeps getting crazier from here. We've got, this episode's called well, here, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Here, here's where we finally get into proper soap opera. And it yeah. becomes actually a lot less about the broad, silly stuff. And more about the relationships. True, but the and broad, this, silly stuff, the storylines start getting crazier and crazier, I think. But the, that's, it's no longer the focus of the show, is my point. <laughs> I, think, I think the romances bec- take over the stories. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So let's, let's look at the romances mm. then. We've got Dean and Colette. They finally decided to give, a, give it a go. They're going to start dating. And Dean takes Colette to meet his family. Oh, we, it, we, we hadn't mentioned that Dean and Bridget... Like had reunited at one point. Oh, this, that, that's uh, that's like oh, the this. next episode. Oh, okay. No, not quite yet. Uh, so Dean and Colette, uh, they're they're starting to date. He takes Colette to meet his parents. His parents think she's Bridget. He, yeah, and he hasn't told her that. Super told awkward that he's dating a new woman, and she's furious with him because her dad's his dad's making it a whole thing, and she's just like, "You didn't tell your dad, your parents, you were dating again, and this is really terrible. You're not really into this." And he he actually has a good good little bit of writing, and he says. The issue isn't that I didn't tell them we were dating. The issue is I never took Bridget to meet them, mm, and I took I, you right away. <laughs> I'm way well, more into you than I ever was into here, Bridget. Here's what I like about Dean. Dean never waffles. Mm-hmm. He is totally resolute the whole time. He's mm. like, okay, you got to choose between me and Bridget. I choose you. No, no, you, this is a really important choice. Do you want to choose me or do you want to choose Bridget? No, I choose you. And in fact, she's so, she's so adamant that he consider Bridget that it ends up backfiring on her really, yeah. really bad in an episode or two. Um, meanwhile, uh, Maggie, Christina 
Ricci's character meets a Republican congressman who wants to like build nuclear bombs and like arm the whole world and she hates him and she's deciding to like that this is my opportunity I can like berate him into changing his political ways mm-hmm. and she berates him so hard that they have sex <laughs> and then she like she tries to him burn into his hotel room she and... tries to burn his speech so he can't give the speech about nuclear arms proliferation and then the, the hotel room gets set on fire and everyone has to evacuate and it's funny yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Kate is enlisted by David Harbour to be a decoy so he can get a bad thing from bad people. But then he's in the middle of a fight and, and Kate she, kills a guy. Well, uh, he, he's yeah, he they're grappling. One is about to die and she picks up a dropped gun and shoots him. Yep. The next episode is dealing with the fallout of that. Yep. But before we before we get there, uh, Laura, Margot Robbie. Mm-hmm. She's enlisted by Ted, the co-pilot, to pretend to be his girlfriend so that he can get out of an awkward setup that his parents have set up between a girl who never liked him when they were kids Mm. and he's got to have a date with her. So he's like, listen, I'm going to I'll give her a cursory 20 minutes In 20 minutes. Could you come in wearing something very attractive and like throw a drink in my face and call me an asshole? And then I get to that's my girlfriend. This is not going to work out. I get to leave now. Yeah, But then. He, he sits down with the woman, it's Ashley Green, and they have a, a wonderful time. The they have best great conversation rapport. of yeah. his life. And by the time Margot Robbie's like getting ready to go see him, he's gone. <laughs> he's oh. in Ashley Green's bedroom. <laughs> she thinks she's screwed up, but actually he just really likes this woman. Oh. Uh, the next episode is called Secrets and Lies. This is the one where Bridget comes back. Okay. Bridget comes back and says, I, okay. I think she was in an earlier episode. I think, they, I think they teased her like a flashback or something, uh, but here she's back. Okay. And she's staying with Kate, and she's going to get her job back at Pan Am. It's like, this is great. I get to be with Dean again. And Kate's like, oh, yeah, that's great. He definitely hasn't been dating Colette. <laughs> so it's super awkward, and Colette insists that Dean, like, you know, listen, you have a lot of baggage. Just deal with it. And Dean's like, no, I want to be with you. Like, mm-hmm. no, it's going to be a whole thing hanging over us forever. You need closure, blah. Mm-hmm. And then they end up having sex. Yeah. Because of course they do, and it's really awkward. And I just well, and, and and like all throughout, it's like Dean's like, well, maybe Colette has a point. She keeps on saying that I'm into you, so I'll have sex with you. No, Damn no, it. I, I wanted to be with Colette this whole time. I was right. I shouldn't have doubted myself. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, Christina Ricci is trying to like avoid the fact that she slept with a conservative, but he keeps showing up at her apartment, <laughs> insisting that they date. So she does, but the problem is now she's writing for the Village Voice, and she wrote a really damning article about all this private stuff he told her in Pillow Talk, and and she used that as her audition piece to like get a job at the Voice, mm-hmm. and so it, she never intended that to be run, but the Voice was needed those words, so they just published it. Yep, and the, no, he's really ed- pissed. Ed- the editor rewrote it a little bit, but. Yeah. The congressman's campaign is trying to figure out who wrote it. <laughs> it's really awkward. <laughs> Meanwhile, I think this is the one where Laura finds out that her... Is this the one where Laura finds out that her pictures have been taken? Oh, yeah. she Somebody recognizes her. It's like, oh, I recognize you from the picture. Yeah, I was on that magazine cover. No, no, those nudes. Oh, no. I mean, no way. I think that was actually a little later, but no, whatever. Well, it doesn't... We have to... You don't have to go. We just have to... It, there's arcs. We can do arc by there's, arc. There's whole arcs. I'm trying and to think if there's anything else in the beginning here. Uh, Ted is uh, upset because Ashley Green won't have sex with him until they're married, mm. and he's never done that before, and he has to decide if she's worth waiting for, well, and, and he, he does. And he does wait, and he finds it's... Just, I, I think he's very genuine about the way he, the way he feels it's sort of strengthening their relationship, mm-hmm. and... 
it's something to look forward to. They get to bond on a level he hasn't bonded with a woman before. So, but the irony is that, um, but she doesn't want to have sex for other reasons. Well, we'll find that out in a second. But basically, as soon as he finds out they're they're not going to have sex until they're married, he buys an engagement ring. And I'm like, Ted, no, you're rushing it a little bit. But then he asks her to marry him, and she says yes in public, and it's a whole thing. And then right afterwards, when Christina Ricci breaks up with the congressman because he found out what she did equally publicly, Ashley Green kisses. Christina Ricci and Christina Ricci's like, oh snap. Oh, and she geez. promises Ashley Green. She said, Listen, that's not my thing. And Ashley oh. Green's like, okay, uh, well, listen, it's the early 60s. Can you not say anything? <laughs> and Christina Ricci promises she won't tell anyone. Next scene. <laughs> hey, Ted, your uh, your fiance I, 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 kissed me. I need, I need to tell you something. You, and then you're, later, you're about to marry a lesbian. And then later on, she just lets it slip in front of everybody. She's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, she's terrible. Well, in the last episode, like uh, right before they they're ringing in 1964, which is the end of the series, yeah, she just sort of says it out loud. It's like, oh yeah, and uh, that that woman, she kissed me on the mouth. Not bad. It's like <laughs> I would think that the, that this would have been an opportunity to sort of like to explore that like sexuality in the 1960s. Yeah, and, and the way. So many people had to live in the closet because it just wasn't something you had to do then. Well, and I, actually, I actually like the way that they... Because what happens is Ted finds out. He's yeah. suspicious for a while. They actually do... She tries to like throw him off the scent by actually having sex with him, but it's super awkward and terrible. Mm. And then when he finally confronts her, she says, Okay, look. I actually do love you as a person. Mm. But yeah, we have a great conversation. We're great friends, and I do want to marry and, you. And our families are like, you know, they're close. We're both rich. It's a perfect match. In every way but one. Mm. So what about this? <laughs> what if we get married? You can date who you... Date Margot Robbie. I don't care. I know you love her. Just date her. It's fine. I don't care. I'll date who I want. And everyone's happy. Mm. And Ted's like, well, I actually would like to be in love with the person I'm married with. And then and then by the end of the series, she's just like, oh, okay, that's great. By the way, I'm pregnant. Which... Oh, ah! I, I hated that twist. That was a well, hell of a... That's, this is my thing. Remember the... the uh, and this is something uh, my wife pointed out to me that which I noticed but kind of just took in stride like movie and TV show after movie and TV show the having sex once leads to pregnancy mm-hmm. the odds are pretty once. slim yeah like the, the odds are slim there's all this tension oh no what are, are will they will they won't they will they won't they finally do we fall on the floor of a barn and we just have sex finally and it instantly leads to a child like it's a risk but it's like it's always it's 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 really unlikely yeah and. It's it's no, I mean, it's it, it, tacky it can, melodrama. It can, is what it, it is. can easily happen. You know, yeah. the, uh, kids don't take that risk. But <laughs> yeah, no, it's not like seriously, it's a risk. But like, play, when you, play safe always. But, but in uh, a movie, it always seems really, really forced. Yeah, yeah. We again in our most recent letters episode, which is available mm-hmm. on our Patreon, but for free, patreoncom slash too soon. Someone asked us what are our least favorite TV tropes. Mm-hmm. The extremely forced will they or won't they relationship is mine. And this is Margot Robbie and Ted. And you know that they can't be together until the last episode of the show. Because the second that Ted's like, listen, I broke it off with Ashley Green. Mm. It would be a sham marriage. I'm in love with you. They kiss. And then Ashley Green says, I'm pregnant. And he's like, well, I guess I got to marry you because Mm. that's the right thing to do under these circumstances. That's it. That's the incredibly contrived plot point just to keep them apart because we know we want them to be together. And it's never satisfying to me. Like It's usually really forced and lame. It would have been way more satisfying if uh, he had agreed to that. Mm. He he said, you know, well, I'm not really comfortable with that, but you're right. There is a lot here. Yeah. I would like to see what our relationship can be like. 
Mm-hmm. And we and that's and, and actually the whole, and that's the whole a, open relationship thing yeah. might be actually pretty exciting to a swinging pilot for Pan Am. The yeah, it's like and and you know how how do I go about having an open relationship? Do I want it an open relationship, or mm. am I okay just sort of being married to this woman and not having other relationships? What is she going to do about this? How are they going to grapple with this? How, that is something that you know, is ripe for drama. Well, we saw it in based G- on his decision. Well, we saw it in GCB. Yeah, there you there was, go. There was a couple who had that. They mm-hmm. very knowingly went into a marriage. Yeah, yeah. They knew it was a sham, but they did she, love yeah. each other as people. She, she was straight and he was gay, but they loved each other a lot, and they did have this understanding. Yeah. It was an interesting part of the show. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't go for that direction. The, the episode where they tried to have sex was the best one. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great episode. Where, the, where they, they took those like weird libido enhancers, and it ended up just <laughs> driving them like like out of their minds with illness. GCB yeah. was a great show. It was a really good show. I, I missed that show. <laughs> Um, the next episode, like just big plot wise, it's actually a big one. They go to the Soviet Union mm. and then Margot Robbie, who's been taking photography classes, takes one instant photograph and she's arrested for espionage. Mm. <laughs> it's like this whole thing. And like, there's actually a spy on the show and they arrested the wrong person. But they also arrested Annabelle Wallace, who's no longer a spy. <laughs> that was a fun one. There was a fun one. Because there was actually like suspense and tension, mm-hmm. and you know, it was like, the did, spy did, thing did, finally hit a head. You which did I notice at, after the Papa Doc episode how, though, yeah, the stories became a lot more focused. Yeah. Uh, and, and I started to appreciate the show. I actually hated the show up until that point. We had a cover. I was worried because, like, I really got into it pretty quick. Okay. And then when I you mentioned it, like, why do you like this show? It's so forced <laughs> and melodramatic. I'm like, that's why I like it. But oh. in the last four episodes or so, it finally, like, hones in on that. Yeah. And that yeah. becomes the thing as opposed to the thing you have to try to find. Right. And they start really focusing on it. So the next, the second last episode is the other episode I think is the best. It's called New Frontiers. And just everything happens. It's the open marriage in that episode. Well, it's it's, Colette the, it's finds, the second to last episode. They have to bring everything kind of like, to a close. Colette and Dean are on the outs because the Dean slept with Bridget. Colette uh, is actually um, she she meets a passenger who is has no money, has only the clothes on his back. He just ran on a plane. Dean suspects he's a smuggler because he's hit all these red flags, and he tries to get him arrested. But then after a while, she, he's like dancing with Colette and seems really nice. Dean comes in with the cops, and the cop says, "Yes, we have been looking for this man." Your Highness. And he's a secret <laughs> prince. And he wants to date Colette and he wants to marry her. And, and then you know when they're She deserves it. She does. <laughs> they're cute together too. And then they do this whole thing where they just need they need to look into her past, make sure there's nothing in her past that's gonna be damaging to the country. They find out that they find out what happened to her parents. Her mm-hmm. parents were killed in World War II after all, and they were killed in the concentration camps because unbeknownst to Colette, she's Jewish. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that means he can't marry her, which sucks. Uh, because anti-Semitism. But, uh, but we also find also, out she has a brother she didn't know about. Yeah, she, had, she had a baby brother that she never met. And I kept expecting to find out one of these people on the show was her brother. See, that would have been a stupid payoff. Turns out it's Dean. What the hell? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, turns out it's that kid from that episode we skipped. Oh, my God. That fucking... <laughs> she's in control. She's like in, put in charge of this one kid traveling internationally. And he's like... This, was like, these... a, this aired near the end of the show, but it, it took place chronolo- chronologically, like within the chronology of the show, like eight episodes before. Some of the shows were out of order, yeah. but... Uh, yeah, there's this kid, and he does magic, and he tries to seduce Colette, and it's all, that plot is always super creepy. Stop doing that plot. Stop doing that plot. Oh, uh, well, I mean, 
you, you think back to when you're like 13, 14, and you're, you're having no, intense I, crushes for the first time. From it. that perspective, I get it. If it were about the kid. Well, like, yeah, because like Rushmore almost works, is at least they accept that it's creepy in that movie. Yeah, and it's a and problem, then, and he's kind mm-hmm. of the villain in a lot of ways. And, but yeah, here, the, no, it's just always unsavory to me. Mm-hmm. I never care for it. Um, and uh, what's going on here? Okay, so we got the smuggling thing. We got, uh, in this episode, Margot Robbie sells her photographs to Andy Warhol, who thinks she's the face of a new generation. Also, Christina Ricci is propositioned by one of the other pilots at Pan Am to help him lead a smuggling ring. Because they're just all up to that. And also the JFK assassination. Yeah. This is an eventful episode of television. <laughs> I, I don't know why they had to f- follow this one. Like, this this was clearly the climax. They had 14 episodes. Ordinarily, half seasons are 13. Well, this, no, this was 13. Yeah, I think they, they extended it for one episode. Uh-huh. I think perhaps because they thought it was wrapping up, and so they decided to f- do an episode that could finish it off a little better, wrap things up a little bit, even though it en- the next one ends in a cliffhanger. But the next one ends on, like, New Year's Eve. So it feels like it kind of... There's a bit of a button yeah, on it. Yeah. So the next episode, it takes place in New Year's Eve. It's called 1964. Um, God, okay, so... This, this, is, this is, is actually where we learned about... Is this the episode where we learned about the brother? Colette's Yeah, yeah, I brother? skipped ahead yeah. a little bit. But yeah, this is the episode. Like Everything hits ahead here. Dean is suspended because of the whole Haiti fiasco. Mm-hmm. Um, and he agrees to help Colette find her brother because I have six months leave. <laughs> nothing else to do and he's hoping that will help him you know him and Colette get closer again uh, Kate finds out that David Harbour has been a double agent this entire time and she has to apprehend him at Grand Central Station all by herself Hooray. and at the end she decides she's going to become a full-fledged CIA agent awesome I love all of that that's yeah. fun um, the, the, the spy stuff works the least for me I know. I just like that it was there. The fact that it was there was ridiculous and amusing. Um, Let's see what else is going on. Uh, So uh, Laura and Ted decide to be together, but this is the episode where Ashley Ashley Green reveals that she's pregnant. But by the end of the episode, Ted hasn't told Laura yet, but you know he will because he's got to marry her. And Mm -hmm. ah, that's awkward. Um, And Christina Ricci turns out to be a great smuggler. So she's going to become like this crime kingpin. (laughs) Am I forgetting anything? (laughs) No. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's Col- a big show. Colette is going to become royalty. Um, you think she will, but she's not, though, because she's, she's no, Jewish the, and they this, can't marry this, her. this is where we're leaving them off. Colette is definitely going to become royalty. She's oh, going to become the queen of a nation. Okay, so this is, this is, Christina, this is your head cannon. Yeah, this is yeah, what you cr- want cr- to add. Cr- okay. Christine, <coughs> Christina Ricci becomes like a criminal mastermind and lord of the underworld. Okay. Or lady of the underworld. Um yeah, Kate becomes like head at Langley. Yep, and Margot Robbie uh, becomes a superstar model slash art, you know, maven, and uh, becomes a legend in her own right. And get and gets to have an affair with this married man who yeah. has a, an arrangement with his gay wife. And so everyone's pretty happy about that. Mm-hmm. Dean and uh, Colette. Uh, okay, so Dean's kind of screwed, but uh, Dean ends up with Bridget, and he's a little miserable. And but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's got to be unhappy. Who, who Might as well be Dean. Who plays Ashley Green's girlfriend? Ooh. We need we need that character too. Oh, Natasha Leone. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. <laughs> Print it. <laughs> I was going to say Morena Baccarin, but oh, yeah, that's yeah. a good one too. Um, okay, so if Pan Am had lasted a hundred episodes. Mm-hmm. Well, we would have gotten to the seventies eventually. So I think we would have had some replacement. At flight attendants after a while, yeah, but well, uh, I would hope that they could kind of throw up the cast a little bit. The mm. two male leads, 
they have some interesting storylines, but they didn't. Re- they weren't really dynamic characters. They clearly wanted to follow the flight attendants, but the pilots mm. were just kind of too integral to the plane. Yeah, yeah. So like they needed to keep them on board, but yeah, I think they got to mix that they, up. They, uh, and plus. You have this new plane. You don't have the same pilots every time. Pilots play, fly all kinds of planes. Sure. So just rotate through, the, make those characters guest stars. I, I, I get that because the problem is that that whole, like, well, really, you know, different flight attendants, different pilots all mm-hmm. the time. You're going to have such an inconsistent, like, sort of supporting cast. You, you kind of mm-hmm. just wanted to keep it simple. Yeah. I'm willing to accept that as that's not realistic, but for the purposes of keeping the show well, straightforward, not, it's always the same people. Not all the, all the same, but have, like, recurring characters. It's like, mm-hmm. on this time, it's this pilot. Mm-hmm. And you can, like, and sort you have, of... Like, and you have, like, three or four pilots you, that you see occasionally. And you can weave different flight attendants into the narrative. Yeah. And, like, different... Yeah, yeah, I think, I think we do need that. We need yeah. an evil flight attendant. We need, like, that... <laughs> we need that, like, one person because we had the asshole need the Joan pilot. Collins character yes yeah. that's what we need we need in season two like someone comes in and she's just terrible and she's manipulative and cruel mm. and I don't know who plays her but she's great <laughs> like, who, who plays her who plays a good Cruella uh, DeVille type oh no. no, I was about to say Ellen Page, but no, I can't quite buy it. It doesn't quite fit. Well, she could do it. Ellen Page is incredibly talented. But yeah, yeah, yeah she could, but I don't think that's entirely right. Um, <laughs> Rebecca Hall. <laughs> she would have been good. She wasn't huge in 2011. We could have gotten, Rebecca, gotten Hall. Rebecca Hall. Yeah, it would have been cool. Um, that would have been really, really nice. I would have liked to have seen that. No, but like we're just going to go through all of the 60s. They're going to go to every major port of call for every huge event throughout the entire 1960s. Yeah, yeah. Fun. Um, <laughs> well, if you make it big you, and broad and don't pretend it's classy, you're good. Yeah, you compared the show in, in its early episodes to Love Boat. And yes. Love Boat lived and died by its lived and got, died by its guest stars. You know, it's like you see that uh, the life's preserver with the portrait yeah, of the guest this week, star, Fred Astaire. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god! Wow, he's he's barely standing because he's on Love Boat. Um, <laughs> one of my, I've seen plenty of spoofs of those, like in this episode, Eraserhead Baby. You know, kind of kind of just weird <laughs> stuff. Um, and the problem is Love Boat was a comedy mm-hmm. and you could get away with some like sitcom situations because it was a sitcom and the the crew was were the regulars but you know the guest stars had sort of the the A story yeah most of the time and had the show done that at the from the start that would have been fine who would have but i don't think we can do that anymore after what it had become no i think i think it becomes so more needs, of a soap yeah it becomes more of a soap which means you need a lot you need to shake up the status quo more frequent, frequently you can't have the same premise that you started with anymore no it, this is we're gonna go into the 1960s and show all of this really cool design and all the cool interior. You know, the costumes were gonna really be really great and the hairdos are gonna be really great and we're gonna peel back the layers and show what the 60s are. That's already gone by the end of the, the first season, mm. and that's fine because it was a better show when they abandoned the premise. I agree. And so yeah, if you're gonna keep on going with season two, you need to do soap opera stuff. You I need agree. to introduce evil twins. You need to. <laughs> They're Always not, the go-to. The, the plane needs to be decommissioned, and they're on a crappy plane for half a season. Oh, that's you know, a good one. Uh, or, or um, they're grounded. They need to do like some sort of military training after some like hijacking. Exer- yeah, ex- so now they all have military training. A lot. Now they're all like badass fighters in one episode. <laughs> and Margot Robbie thinks she's a badass fighter, but she's not as good as she thought. And you know, it turns out the meek one was the really powerful. One. Yeah, all of these stories need to be folded into this bigger, broader show now that it's changed. We need, an, we need an, think, an undercover cop who's trying to uncover Christina Ricci's smuggling ring. 
There you go. There you go. Yeah. An Interpol agent. An Interpol agent who's like undercover mm-hmm. as the flight navigator. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something. You got to figure and, it out. And it's not going to be long before they have to emergency land on a desert island and yes. they find pirate treasure. Like Why not? We're, we're that close. And you know what? That's a that's a good show. I'm fine with it. It's going to be that. wild and fun, and I'm I'm glad in my head that it's going that way. Okay, so the question, sadly it closed down. So the question is, uh, was Pan Am canceled too soon? It was because I agree. it was just getting good, wasn't it? Yeah. Like it was really like the I, last I four episodes are so great. I didn't like it at the beginning, and if you had only, if you had left me with like six episodes, like you got nothing here. Well, this is why I think like it's difficult to gauge sometimes whether a show had potential from its. Pilot, which we review sometimes. Mm -hmm. Some shows are canceled after only a handful of episodes. But, like, yeah, after 14 episodes here, Pan Am was finding itself. Yeah. And it was getting good. This Mm -hmm. is a very entertaining show by the time it ended. Well, I I actually just wrote an essay on IGN about how shows do need to find their feet because I've I've been watching Star Trek Discovery Season 2. It's better now. Good. (laughs) Like, they they fixed a lot. Uh, Wait, you brought up Star Trek. Hang on. Oh, sorry. Ah, brought up Star Trek. I did write about Star Trek. That's what yeah. I, that's what I do. But yeah, the, the the entire first season of Discovery sucked. Sucked out loud. Sucked on legs. Sucked the energy out of the room. We have a teleporting ship. What are you going to do with it? Nothing interesting. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to use it for battle sometimes. Like, uh, really, you can explore the whole universe. You have a, a, the show is called Discovery, and you're not going to do any Discovery. <laughs> <laughs> Season, t- season two, they out. listen to the complaints, and they're like, okay, we're going to fix this, we're going to fix this. It always weirds me out when people call it disco, because it sounds disco, like it's yeah. way more fun and cheesy than well, I Well, be- because otherwise you're calling it STD, and that's not cool. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right, so that is it for Cancel Too Soon this week. Thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you to uh, the listener who actually donated Pan Am yeah. for us. Who wanted to remain anonymous, if I recall. I believe yeah. this one was someone who wanted to remain anonymous. A lot mm. of people do. Uh, if we ever... Uh, you know, review a show that you donated and we lose our documentation or whatever, let us know. We'll apologize. We'll give you a shout well, out on the show. We but will some give people you, do want to be anonymous. We, we want to give you credit uh, yeah. because you uh, generously donated some shows to us and Pan Am was a donation. Yep. We're glad we were finally able to get to it. As you mentioned at the head of the episode, it was highly, highly requested. A lot of people wanted us to talk about this show because it was a high profile failure. It was very expensive. Mm. It was very, uh, a lot of promotional material. Again, it had a really good cast. Um, yeah, it was a good show. It mm. fact, took a bit to find itself, but it was a really good show. Uh, next, it, it, eventually, it was a good show. Uh, on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash cancel too soon, we want to give a very special shout out to all of our uh, patrons. You really keep the show going. We couldn't mm. afford to do it otherwise. Um, we have a new poll up, and you get to choose one episode that we review in the month of February, and all of the options are listener donations. Mm. We've got My Own Worst Enemy, starring Christian Slater. Uh, we've got John from Cincinnati, which was an HBO surfing show. Uh, we've got Kings, which is about a fictional modern-day monarchy. And we've got Harper's Island, which was a serialized weekly slasher series. Yeah. And, man, that is one of the closest polls we've ever had. Well, because like, It's the, like a three-way tie right now. These were all in pretty high demand. Like mm-hmm. A lot of people have been requested this. And we chose no theme. We just sort of chose four that were interesting. Kind of chose four at random. Yeah. yeah. And... Yeah. and uh, yeah, now we get to see who the the ultimate champion will be. We'll review them all eventually. Yeah, uh, we're we're just, just, which one we review first? We're just putting yeah, which one are we putting in the lineup soonest? Yeah. And that's what you're voting for. Uh, but this next episode, we're actually going to be reviewing a failed pilot. We like failed pilots because they're short. 
and we're able to get back on track because the last yeah. couple episodes have come out a little later in the week than we usually post yeah. just because it's been a little difficult to cram all these episodes in and next one's going to be a really fun one because we have found a failed pilot starring a very young very virile Sam Elliott Academy Award nominee Sam Elliott for A Star Wars Born in the 1970s played Evil Knievel in a failed TV show about stuntman Evil Knievel solving crimes. And Yay! Why they don't have the actual Evil Knievel is a little bit of a mystery, but he was there busy. He are. was jumping over something that week. Or, or plummeting to the bottom of it, as the case might be. Well... Anyway, um, so Greg, Greg Proops has a great story about Evil Knievel, how Evil Knievel said he wanted to jump the Grand Canyon and he was going to jump it in a rocket. And they showed the rocket on the Wild World of Sports where some like sawed off little lumpy man in a yellow tie is like, oh, here we are with Evil Knievel. He's going to jump over. And the rocket was like Wild E. Coyote's rocket. Like it had a little, <laughs> little nose cone and little fins. Yeah. And he's, he says he remembers this from his, his childhood. Evil Knievel. Gets on the ramp, gets on the rocket, it fires up, it starts zipping for the, the edge of the lip of the canyon, and it goes into, out in the canyon and just goes straight down. Oh. <laughs> it doesn't, like, there's no lift at all. <laughs> so he essentially drove something into a canyon. <laughs> that was his stunt. Bless you, Evil Knievel. Evil Ke- Man, Evil Knievel, what a weird American institution. Threw himself into one horrible, dangerous, injurious situation after another just to entertain us. And then Sam Elliott got to play him. Mm. That, I think, would be the greatest... The greatest honor of all. If it's, Sam Elliott plays you. Like, if we, if someone made a movie about Cancel Too Soon, can I get Sam Elliott to play me? Sure. It's fine. I want, <laughs> right? Tom, I want Tom Lennon, frankly. Ooh, Tom Lennon and Sam Elliott is a good combo. That would be a good team-up, wouldn't it? That would they? be really good. <laughs> Who's the straight man, though? Because they could both be the straight man. I guess Sam Elliott would have Sam to be Elliott's the straight man. Sam Elliott's have to be straight man, let's be honest here. Yeah. Let's... <laughs> It's a, it's a shtick. I, I have to after I saw Once Upon a Deadpool, I really, really want a buddy comedy with uh Ryan Reynolds and Fred Savage. Fair enough. It's gotta happen. I hope it does. I'm, I'm pushing for that. All right, everybody, thank you very, very much for listening. Again, patreon.com slash cancel too soon if you want our bonus content. Uh thank you everybody for donating. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Don't forget we have another podcast critically acclaimed over at the Schmoes No iTunes feed. Uh, we have a new episode in which we do a double feature of Around the World in 80 Days, and it's a mad, 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 mad world. Uh-huh. Great movies. Yeah. One of them is. Um, and also, uh, if you watch the movie trivia Schmodown, check it out this week. We have a match against the Harris Brothers, which we That's think you right. will find very entertaining. Mm-hmm. At least I hope so. Uh, so thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, that's a wrap. We'll see you next season. Thank you.